You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. Hi there. Welcome back in. Episode number 176 of Play by Playcast. My name is Joel Godet, and this is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by one, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. On social media at PXPCast, I'm at Joel Godet. My emails are always open. J G O D E T T at BSU.edu is the way to get in touch with me. A couple of good guests over the last two episodes. If you're new, make sure you go back and listen to those. Ian Eagle was on Friday. Krista Blunk was on the week before Ian. Uh, all 175 previous episodes are available at your fingertips. And I point that out this week in particular because I, I, I was there for part of it. So I know that there were more than 400 people. And I don't know the unique numbers, but like at a time, there were more than 400 people in the STAA Sportscasting Seminar Monday, which was a really cool event that John Chelesnick and the Sportscasters Talent Association of America put on, including uh, Ian Eagle, Friday's guest on the podcast. He was a part of it. But uh, a full hour of just masterclasses and question and answer sessions with Jim Nance and Kevin Harlan and Tracy Wolfson and Beth Mowens and Ian Eagle and Chuck Swirsky and... Pat Hughes, and I've come this far. I can't leave anyone out. Uh, Kevin Kugler, Bob Costas. That's a bad one to miss until the end. Um, uh, oh, I got so far. I feel like I'm going to miss one now, and I'm going to be upset at myself. Ah, dang nabbit. Anyway, uh, there were a lot of really good people that gave out some really good information. If you did not catch it, a couple of quick ones from me. Uh, This I thought was interesting because it came from two people, Jim Nance and Kevin Harlan, both not big height and weight guys. The first thing I do when I make a chart, name, number, hometown, height, weight, year, not height, weight guys. And I get it. Um, You know, it's kind of like the, the man bite dog, dog bite man. Do I need to put on my chart that the offensive lineman is six foot four, 300 pounds? No, that's kind of kind of kind of a given. He plays offensive line, but you know, man bite dog. If the offensive line is six nine, four hundred pounds, that's probably important. But pick out the numbers that are important that help tell a story. Uh, you don't necessarily need all of them on your board. So I thought it was interesting that Jim Nance uh, and Kevin Harlan, but Jim Nance was the first one that said it. Uh, does not have heights and weights of players on his spotting charts, which I thought was uh, intriguing. Uh, Both guys also not big numbers people on television from a statistics standpoint. Radio, different deal. But they are not, or they at least don't like to lean on statistics when they're on television. Graphics are for that. More of a story and a color type approach from both men. And the thing I think that stuck with me most that anybody said in any of the sessions... um was oh and let me go back to the stats thing because i I just picked out the quote in my notes uh jim nance numbers on tv lead to a stale broadcast which i thought was an interesting way to phrase it um so back of the mind on that one uh but the number one thing that jim nance brought up that i thought was really intriguing don't be afraid to make a mistake you want to sound real and conversational bobbles happen I think when we all broadcast, we all listen to ourselves, and when we trip or flub or don't hit a word the right way or or misspeak at the beginning of a sentence and have to go back, you know, I say, here's Johnson, he's a a freshman from Kane County, Minnesota, and you think to yourself, well, I just ruined that game, and trust me, little flubs like that 
we've all sat there and gone, well, can't send this to anybody. You're human. Everybody trips over words here and there. Now, don't make a habit of it (laughs) and don't do it consistently top to bottom. But if it happens, it happens. In normal conversation, people are going to make those mistakes. And I thought it was really interesting, refreshing, and reassuring to hear a guy like Jim Nance at the pinnacle of this field say that on the record, (laughs) recorded in front of 400 people for posterity. Um, So really cool event um, on Monday. And if you had a chance to be there, great. If you found this podcast because of that, also great. Welcome to the show. Pete Pranica is our guest, the Memphis Grizzlies TV voice here on episode number 176 of PXP cast. And we cover some ground on this one. Talk a little bit about radio, actually, too, because Pete has done that in his career. Uh, We talk a lot about television, having fun on television, working in statistics on TV and doing it the right way and not necessarily using numbers on TV, but using numbers in your prep to teach you who a team is and then the right way to convey who a team is on a broadcast. I think that's one of the overarching lessons to take away from, from Pete's conversation coming up is our goal as broadcasters is tell you who a team is and why to care about them. And Pete's big thing, I've got to find out who a team is. And I've got to convey that to you in the best way possible. So we'll go through that. We'll go through making all 82 games of an NBA season feel special and unique. It's difficult. You know, if it's game number 37 against the last place team, how do you make that game stand out? We'll touch on that. And uh, we'll touch on watching uh, handball in German to prepare for the Olympics. Yeah, that's at the end. You're going to want to hang around for that. Pete Pranica is our guest on episode 176 of PXPCast. During the course of an NBA season, you basically put all your personal activities on hold. Uh, and so I'm trying to do what I uh, would normally do during an off season, except we're in a shelter in place order here in Tennessee. So uh, that's somewhat limited. Um, I, I am a licensed pilot, so I'm studying, uh, doing some book learning oh, wow. uh, for my, for my instrument rating. So uh, that takes up part of my time and um, doing a lot more cooking than I, uh, than I normally would. And uh, just trying to, just trying to, you know, clean up old box scores and, and do some filing and, like I said, take care of things that normally you would take care of in the off season because essentially uh, that's where we are at the moment anyway. I think you might be the first licensed pilot in the history of this podcast. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it's entirely possible. I, I know in the NBA, Rick Carlisle is a, is a licensed pilot, the coach of the Mavericks, and uh, also the son of Mark Zumoff, the voice of the 76ers. His son, Pace, is an airline pilot. So those are, those are, those are the NBA uh, aviation contacts. How did you get into that? I've always been interested in aviation since I was a little boy uh, and in space flight as well. And, uh, you know, started with making the models. And, you know, now I'm at a point in my life where I have the time and the resources to actually uh, take flight lessons and to to devote some serious time to it. And uh, that's it's always been it's always been a hobby. And I think one of one of my coolest experiences uh, maybe I'm, I'm the only pilot who's ever been on this podcast. Maybe the only person who's flown in an F-16 on your podcast too. I, <laughs> I got that opportunity with the Air Force Thunderbirds, which, which was really cool. So, uh, yeah, aviation's always been, and space flight's always been a real big thing for me. That's, I, I know it's not something you've picked up in the last few weeks, but it's, uh, it would be the, uh, the ultimate answer to how have you spent your quarantine time. It's like, well, I studied to become a pilot. Um, <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm just trying to learn how to play guitar. Um, <laughs> For people that haven't heard uh, Pete Pranica broadcast, uh, how would you describe the way that you approach a game and and, um, what people get from a Memphis Grizzlies call with you? I would like to think that they're going to be informed and they're going to be entertained. I take great pride in my preparation. Uh, A lot of statistical analysis, but I never want to bog down our viewers and our listeners with too many numbers. The best lesson I ever got in how to do an NBA game was when I was working with Snapper Jones in Portland back in the early 2000s. And he always felt that if you could explain to a viewer the strengths and weaknesses of a particular team, 
what is their identity? Are they a post-up team? Are they a drive and kick team? Are they a jump shooting team? Then you, you set that up at the top of the telecast. And so once you identify what team X is like and what team Y is white, what, what, what they do well, then you can spend the entire game weaving the story in and out. Either the teams are playing true to form or they're playing the opposite of form. And then the explanation is, well, why is it the way that it is, particularly if it's not working according to the way the statistics and the numbers and the, the typical identity of a team would normally go. And so you, know, you, you, you set up the identity of the two teams and then you just try to figure out if, if they're playing true to form or not true to form and why. And, and that to me is, is, is the baseline. Brevin and I try to bring an element of humor. Uh, we like to let our personality show through. Uh, you know, we have, we have a couple of little regular bits that, that people are very entertained by. So, you know, we keep those up and you want to be entertaining without, without getting silly. Uh, I think, you know, to inform, to entertain, and to explain are probably the, the three biggest things that we try to do. Okay, so there's a couple things you said there I want to go back and touch on, and I, and I think you read my notes before we did this, uh, <laughs> because those were some of my first couple bullet points. Um, there was a quote that you had, and it talked about what you learned in Portland, and it was that identifying the character of a team and translating that for the audience is your number one job. Um, and the way you described it right there, do you like how do you storyboard necessarily what you're going to do going into a game. How do you map out either physically, if you say like, all right, here's a couple things I want to hit on or just in your mind, uh, how you want to break down uh, the character of a team going into a broadcast. I've got, I've got so many statistical resources that, that I use on background that, and in conversations with Brevin, who knows the league exceptionally well, you know, we, we kind of, we kind of figure it out and we'll talk about it in our, pregame production meeting to understand, okay, well, we want to talk about this team. They're a high three-point shooting team in terms of the number of attempts. They're a low free-throw shooting team, ergo, they're a jump shooting team. They don't drive the ball to the basket a whole lot. And, mm. and now you have so many more data points where I can tell you that John Morant drives on average of 15 times a game, and he shoots 45% when he drives to the basket. I mean, there's so many more data points right now that you can really, really hone in on, on certain things. I, I think top of the telecast, what I try to do is to give a sense of, does this team play fast or slow? Are they, and, and what is their offensive and defensive efficiency? Just to kind of give you a, a baseline and any other additional information will jump out at you based on the preparation that I do. What I, what I do is we have a sheet that was originally devised by Ted Ballard, who's the producer down in Miami for Hubie Brown, when Hubie did some Miami Heat games. And, and to this day, it's called the Hubie Sheet. And it lists everything from points per game, points allowed per game, field goal percentage for and against, points in the paint for and against, second chance points for and against, rebound margin, and just a number of things. And it's all in an eight and a half by 11 sheet that you look at that and you can pretty much tell what the character of a team is. And then I augment that by going to advanced stats. And again, because so many coaches are emphasizing what tempo at which they play, I will look at their pace. I will look at their offensive and defensive efficiency. And the other thing that I like to look for is the percentage of baskets that are assisted. Does this team play a lot of one-on-one? Do they share the basketball? And so, you know, even just picking up, you know, a handful of stats that seem to jump out, uh, you can pretty much nail the identity of a team. And then you can back it up with the eye test if you go back and look at, at previous games and, and study some video. How much will you actually give and break down statistics on the air? Or will you use some of that information just kind of to inform the way you're looking at a team? And then you can set up Brevin to say, like, hey, Brevin, this team moves the ball really well because you know the assist number is high, and that then lets him break something down a little bit differently. I do try to keep it a little a little general because if you say, well, they're seventh in the league with you know 26.5 assists, it, it, it kind of loses some context, I think. Uh, so I use those numbers just so that I, I know 
hey, this is a really good passing team. And then if Brevin wants to break it down, whether it's a particular set or a particular player that is particularly gifted in distributing the basketball, then he can go that way. Um, it, it, it's, it's a running battle to have the numbers at your disposal, but not just unload them on the audience because they may not have time to totally process. So it's easier to say, hey, they're a top 10 three-point shooting team in terms of percentage. It's easier than saying, well, you know, they're a third and three-point percentage, and, and, and then you, you, get, you get mired down in numbers, and the game is so fast you don't want to get mired down. I know Brevin, I, there was a quote that he said, uh, or I think that you said, you, you love to talk about the offensive and defensive efficiencies, but, but Brevin doesn't like all the statistics sometimes. Uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you rectify that between the two of you? Uh, I, I, well, I think he's, he's coming around a little bit. I mean, we have for so long, we have been for so long, we have looked at points per game and points per game allowed. And because that was the only metric we had for so many years. And now that you're able to contextualize it and say it's per 100 possessions mm. in terms of offensive and defensive efficiency, well, now you, you've got, you, you've, you've got the common denominator as it were statistically. And probably what kind of, kind of sort of brought him to, to my way of thinking is, Golden State in its recent heyday, you would look at their points allowed numbers and you'd say, well, they're a terrible defense because they allow a lot of points. <laughs> they're not, well, they all, yeah. They, they, yeah, but they play really quickly. So if you look at points per game allowed, it's not a very good barometer. And so that's why sometimes the advanced statistics tell you a more accurate story than just the, the traditional numbers. Um, so, yeah, but, but I'm, I'm well aware that, you know, the advanced stats, it's just still, still not really his thing. And, and <laughs> we've had conversations at NBA broadcast meetings, uh, you know, how much of these advanced stats do you really throw out there? Because the casual fan still remembers points allowed, points scored, field goal percentage, you know, pace obviously now has become more, more of an issue, but if you, uh, if you talk, I think, to the casual NBA fan about offensive and defensive efficiency, you may, you may get a quizzical look. And so that's why you just try to use it more on background rather than use the actual numbers. Although I guess, is it one of those things where if you don't talk about it, like that status quo never changes? So if like if as broadcasters, let's talk about efficiency as opposed to just points per game, can we, is it by talking about it we bring it into the, the common nomenclature? I think if you if you do it in, in measured tones, I, I don't what you don't want to do is you don't want to throw out the numbers that everybody's familiar with and just start to bring in a whole new language. I, I the most important thing is, can you contextualize advanced statistics right. uh, with with the traditional numbers? If you can do that and you can sort of marry the two, then you're going to have, I, I think, a more receptive audience. Uh, and the other the other piece of it, too, is that some of these advanced numbers are are, are almost too hard to explain in the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. So there, there have even been teams that have in their pregame show, they, they've actually had a, an analytics lesson, uh, hmm. you know. But again, I, I, what the research has shown is that fans really aren't aren't aren't, you know, the casual fan uh, it really isn't digging deeply into some of these numbers. Um, and, and so you use them primarily on background. And I know one of the things that I look at too is, and you can find this on second spectrum, or you can find it on, on NBA.com slash stats. You can find out, you know, what team runs the greatest number of post-ups, um, you know, well, I don't need to know the exact number, but if you can give me a rank, uh, that'll, that'll tell me something. And, and what I, what I typically do with that information as well when you get into the advanced stats it's an easier conversation than with your coaching staff because now you can really hone in on the identity of a team and so when i do the pregame interview with taylor jenkins i may look at um you know a team that's a high post-up team and that'll be one of the questions you know hey you're, you're playing so-and-so tonight and they're they're a big post-up team uh you know what what specific challenges does that does that pose for you uh, and so you use that stuff on background to hopefully get some better answers when, when you ask questions of the coaching staff. Yeah, and then you've got the anecdotal stuff that probably takes you further when you're able to relay that on the air as well. Exactly. 
Um, you had also said that you and Brevin like to bring some humor into the equation and have a good time on the air. Um, commercial appeal to the story where they called you the straight man in the booth, um, trying to, to, to make that ship go. Uh, what is your role, do you see, in terms of um, moderating the the crew and having a good time, um, but also keeping yourself in the in the right frame of mind for for calling the action of a basketball game. One of the things that I pride myself is just just being prepared and professional, and everybody in our crew is prepared and professional, and so you also want to be the guy that is that that steady person that when things start to go sideways they can come over to you and and ask you a question or or you can kind of bring things back to center um you know that's i mean i kind of even though really the producer is technically the quarterback of of the broadcast you know i like to be a kind of an on-court leader as much as i can be um but at the same time you don't want to take yourself too seriously and, and as I said, you want to have some fun and you want to have an, you want to have a, some entertainment value. Um, and, and to me, the thing that is so important with what we do is to express a genuine sense of enthusiasm for what we're doing. Uh, I know 82 games is a long season and there are some nights where, you know, you're in a, a northeastern city in February and it's cold and you're battling a sore throat. Uh but you've got to bring it every single night because if a viewer is watching and they get the sense that you're not thrilled to be calling that game, they're likely to say, well, Hey, if he's sitting courtside and he's not excited about this game, then why should I be excited about this game? So you just want to make sure that you bring your energy every night, that you're prepared every single night because, and we're seeing this now a lot with John Morant. You never know what you're going to see when you go to the gym. It, it could be something remarkable. It could be a, a dunk. Uh, as the dunk in Phoenix over Aaron Baines, you know, will live on the internet forever. And if he had, if he had completed the dunk over Kevin Love, that would have lived on the internet forever. So, um, you know, you just want to be pre- prepared and professional. I think are the the two biggest things. How do you break up the monotony, for for lack of a better term, over eighty two games? And and like, are there what are things that you have done? If, if there are a couple of examples of, I don't know. If, in-game feature type things or or things you've talked about that you've been happy with how they've worked or proud of how they've worked that have been not directly related to the game but tangentially um where it's made sense and and you've thought it's been a good change of pace well it's i don't know in-game necessarily but on our pre-game show we have something called the three-pointer and it's Sometimes it can be very serious and sometimes it can be <laughs> a, a little odd. Uh, you know, we, we were in Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City is, is I'm sure you're well aware, is home of the Banjo Museum of America. I've, I've, I've been there many times. <laughs> OK, so 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 we come up with the three pointer. Rob Fisher, our sideline reporter, who is who is just one of the best in the league. He usually comes up with the ideas and it, we usually try to tie it either to something historical Sometimes it's basketball related, um, you know, or sometimes it's the city that that we're visiting, you know. And so he goes Roy Clark and then I go Steve Martin (laughs) and then Brevin goes last and he goes Kermit the Frog. (laughs) Now, now what what nobody in the crew knows, what nobody in the crew knows is that I can do a Kermit the Frog impersonation. Oh, no. So and and if you go to the Fox Sports Southeast Twitter feed, you'll you'll find it somewhere because uh, it's a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Brevin says, hey, you know, Kermit the Frog, the best banjo player in the world, bar none. And I break out my Kermit the Frog impersonation to tell him, Brevin, I'm really flattered that you think I'm such a good banjo player. And, you know, everybody, everybody just 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 cracks up um, or there was the night too. see. And I guess my point is a lot of this is just organic. It's just, you know, stuff that comes up. One of the funniest moments that we ever had, uh, we were doing a game in Portland a couple of years ago. Uh, wild finish. Portland ends up winning the game and we do a, a two segment post game show on the court. And so we're in front of the, the Grizzlies bench uh, at the Moda Center and we're doing our post game show. And Festus Azili, who had had knee, some knee issues and was not playing for Portland, wanders by the set. We are on the air, mind you. And Festus walks over, 
he puts his arms around all of us and says, man, that was a crazy game. Wasn't that really something? Rob Fisher doesn't know who isn't recognizing who he is. <laughs> and our, our producer says, Festus is Ely, Festus is Ely. And so I, I start saying, hey, anchor down, anchor down, because, of course, he went to Vanderbilt. And, and then he just walks off. He thought he was part of the Portland telecast. <laughs> and, and, and he just felt compelled to stop by and say, what a crazy game. What a great win for the Blazers. And, 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 and Fisher's reaction is great. He says, what just happened? You know, um, so, you know, a lot of the stuff, it's, it's, it's just organic. And when you're around people for 82 games a year, stuff just kind of springs up organically. And it's, it's not something typically that, that we plan a lot of, uh, the stuff that has become so memorable in people's minds is, is stuff we've, we've made up, whether it's how we talk about the referees or any number of things. A lot of the stuff is just organic, and it's just because we get along so well. Brevin and I had never met before we started doing games together. I knew who he was, obviously, as a player, uh, but we had never met, and now we're, we're best friends and golf partners and spend a ton of time together, and our families spend time together. So, um, you know, I think in this business – if you ever try to script anything or force anything, it's probably going to come off as looking pretty phony. But if it's authentic, if it's organic, then it seems to resonate with the viewers. Yes, I was, I was curious on that note, too, in terms of how much time you guys spend together when you travel over the course of, you know, 41 games on the road. Is it, you know, like Pete gets his time on the road and Brevin gets his time on the road and your producer gets his time on the road? Or, or will you guys kind of, I mean, obviously you travel as a team, but like, Will you spend time in packs together? And, and does that then help that chemistry that you have on the air? Or is it where you, you kind of you want some time to yourself a little bit as well? It really and truly is like a family, which means in the start of the season, we're all doing group dinners and up by the middle of the season. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's, it's not because it's not because we don't like each other because we, we we all love each other. Um, it is it, like I said, it's it, it's a family. And so there are there are some nights where, you know what? I just, I just want to be by myself and I want to order room service and watch something on TV. Then there are nights where, uh, there might be a, you know, the university of Memphis might be playing a basketball game. that's going to be on, on ESPN or whatever. And so we'll all go to the sports bar and watch it, or we might go watch a, a football game or something as a group. So it, it, it varies it. And as I said, it's, it's, it's very organic. It's not like we have, okay, well tonight we're all going to have a team dinner. Um, it's, it's pretty much, Hey, Hey, what, what are guys doing tonight? And we have a group text and it's like, Hey, what do you guys want to do tonight? We're going to go to, we're going to go to cheesecake factory at seven o'clock. Who wants to go? And, and it, it's, it's not just the broadcast crew. It might be media relations as well. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes we will all get together. And then there are times where, you know, everybody goes their, their separate ways because we do spend so much time together that, uh, you know, you don't you don't want to you don't want to spend too much time together. If I can uh, go back, I want to hit one more thing on the 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 ebb and flow of a season and just breaking up again. Monotony is not the right word, but breaking up the making every game as individualistic as possible and as important as possible. And uh, you know, I'm doing college games, so it's a little bit of a different tenor to the way the season unfolds. And like I've had many times where I've looked at my analyst before a game on December 28th against, you know, East Slingshot University, a bye game where you know you're going to win by 40, et cetera, et cetera. And we look at each other and go, how do we want to frame this one to make it important? And it takes a little bit, a lot more thought than, you know, a, a game down the backstretch of the conference season in, in early March. Uh, how do you guys make each of the 82 games that you see as important as the next one? And, and, and what do you look at in terms of drawing out those stories and creating those stories so that when you're in the slog of the season and you're in those kind of dog days of the year, um, you're still able to hammer home, no, like, this matters because at the end of the season, one game could be the difference and this might be it. There, there is that. I, I, I go back to something that, I was working SEC network stuff for Meg Aronowitz, and she always said top of your telecast should always be what's at stake. And what's at stake could be a playoff berth. It could be any number of things. And if you are playing a game and to use, I've never heard of East Slingshot University, but they sound like they <laughs> sound like they could be tough. Uh, but if you're, if you're doing a game and sometimes you are doing a game against a team that is building for the future uh, and, you know, 
maybe sitting some of their frontline guys and you're looking at it, walking in going like, okay, this should be a 30 point win. Then you're trying to frame a storyline around maybe one of your players that is playing exceptionally well or might be struggling a bit. Um, And because we're with the team on a day-to-day basis, you have the pulse of the team, unlike very few people will have. And so that provides you with access to some storylines that the general public may not be aware of. And so with that in mind, you can focus, as I said, somebody who's playing particularly well, uh, you know, and, and, it may go back to a particular demarcation point. They came back from injury. Um, you know, you may have had a player, you know, Tyus Jones for us, his mother's been battling breast cancer. Um, you know, there, you know, there, there's so many myriad uh, things that, that, you know, just kind of on the inside and, you know, on background that you can usually come up with, with something. And what allows us to do some of this is we have a sponsored element and I, I know a lot of telecasts do have, have keys to the game. And so we will use that to set up our storylines. And what we have done a better job of is referencing the top of the telecast uh, and our storylines throughout the course of the game. Because, you know, we don't want that segment to be, hey, we think these are the, the two most important things that the Grizzlies have to do to win tonight. And then we never mention them again. Right. Uh, you, you always want to keep coming back to those storylines because – Research will show you that people will tune in and out every 15 minutes or so. So um, sometimes it's statistical research. Sometimes it's just knowing the players. Sometimes uh, you may talk to a coach who may give you some information on background about what they're looking for. Uh, and then, you know, if, if you can couch it in, in the right ways that you're not giving away trade secrets, then, uh, then that might be something that you present. How about like when you feature uh, when when you talk about individual players, like how many times when you play the Lakers do you talk about LeBron where it's where you can make it new? Or is that one of those things where you have to then dig deeper and see, all right, like who's the sixth guy that has maybe been making them go that doesn't get enough attention? And that's how we make our, our broadcast unique today. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. It, it's easy to talk about LeBron. I mean, that's, you know. Anybody can do that. I mean, everybody, anybody can look up the statistics and they're all incredibly impressive. Um, you do try to find something that is new or different. And Brevin is, is very good at that because he's played against these guys and he can break down the game so very well. I can speak to it statistically. I can speak to it from a somewhat intelligent vantage point as, as an educated fan, but he can break down some things that are, that are even more important. But to your point, I think it's super important that if you are playing the Lakers, that you can talk about Avery Bradley and what he has meant to this team. Because, like I said, anybody can talk about LeBron. That's easy. And number two, people are probably tired of hearing about LeBron, <laughs> you know, unless you're unless you're a Laker fan or a LeBron fan. Yeah. And so so you do try to give the audience something that they've not heard before, something that they have not realized before. And I go back to an interview that I read many, many years ago with Dick Enberg, where he was talking about his preparation. And he said, I want to come up with a story or I want to come up with something that is going to be so remarkable that the next morning, the father's going to say to the boys, Hey, did you, did you know that about so-and-so mm-hmm. did you hear that on the telecast last night? So that you can, you can bring something that is heretofore unknown uh, or something that is, has maybe been underplayed. Like I said, you know, Avery Bradley, uh, you know, we, we played him out all that long ago before the, before the season went on hiatus where he had come back from injury and he was shooting the ball, like the best month of his career. Those are the types of things that you want to be able to bring out to people. Um, and one of the things in my preparation that I look at is recent trends. You know, what has somebody done over the last five games? What has somebody done in the last month? Because those are the things to me that frame the game a whole lot more accurately than just, you know, well, he's averaging 12 points per game during the season. Well, yeah, but did you know he was averaging 18 and shooting 47% in December? Okay. There's, 
you know, so he had a bad month here. He had a good month here. There was an injury here. Uh, so you're always trying to tell the story of, of in many cases, individual players. And, you know, it all comes down to why is this team playing well or not playing well? Uh, anybody can see the score when, when you get that. But can you take people two or three layers deep in the onion to, to explain why things are happening and why the score is what it is? And I guess not being afraid then along those lines to go into a pregame scrum um, and ask Frank Vogel about a guy that some reporters might turn their heads and go like, what are you, why are you asking about him? Um, but that gives you the nugget that somebody turns their head at and says, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, you, you really do want to, like I said, anybody can talk about star players. I mean, that that's easy. And I don't say that to be denigrating of anybody that does talk about star players, but when we are in the living rooms of Grizzlies fans 82 times a year, um, and I think it's incumbent upon us to, to tell some stories that, that they can't get anywhere else or some stories that somebody might not have had the opportunity to dig up uh, simply because we've been around the team on a, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, there might be certain things that Brevin has noticed looking at a team and he says, Hey, you know, everybody's talking about player X, but player Y, man, he's, he's kicking butt this month. You know, we need, we need to figure that out. And the other thing too, is a lot of the stuff we do is on background where Brevin knows a lot of assistant coaches. I know some assistant coaches from other teams that have, have come through Memphis and, you know, you'll, based on my statistical research, I may say, wow, uh, you know, player X has been just doing so well this past month, I may go to an assistant coach or somebody I know on another team and say, Hey, tell me about so-and-so. Give me a scouting report on this guy. Tell me what you like about him. Tell me what he brings to the table. And those moments before the game, when you can talk with other broadcasters, you can talk with assistant coaches with whom you have a relationship or scouts with whom you have a relationship. Then you can dig up some stuff. That's, that's really, really good that nobody else is going to have that maybe a beat writer is not going to be able to dig out, but it's something that because of our position and because of the people we know and the contacts that we have, that we can dig up something that other people might not have. Um, you've mentioned this uh, a, a couple of times. I mean, you talk about talking to, to Brevin and, and being on the same page there, and I guess shame on me for not asking this question more often. Um, walk me through your pregame meeting. Like, What do you break down? And what's most important for you to hash out before you go on the air? Well, what we'll do is because we 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 do a, a half hour pregame show, and it's basically the, the game announcers, uh, particularly on the road at, at home. I only do one segment uh, of the pregame, but on the road I do them all. Um, our producer Scott Zachary puts together basically the shell of the pregame show. So we're going to start with one of our players who's maybe coming off a particularly good game. Uh, we'll run a replay package from the previous game. We'll talk about that. We'll throw the stats up. Uh, we'll talk about a player from the opposing team. And, you know, then we go into the second segment and, 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 and so on down the line. And we just try to kind of gauge everybody's point of view, where they want to go with what they want to say. Um, and sometimes our, our producer may say, well, you know, what about this guy? And we say, no, no, no. We let's, let's focus on, on this guy because we think that this is actually a, a, a better story. Like I said, it's easy to put LeBron in the highlights package. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit different maybe to put Kyle Kuzma there, but if Kyle Kuzma is playing really well, and that's why the Lakers have won three in a row, because he's gone for 20 or more in the last three. Okay. Well, then that's a benefit. Uh, so we'll, we'll go through, we'll go through that, which graphics we're going to use. Um, we also involve Michael Wallace, who used to write for ESPN. He is now part of, of Grind City Media, which is the Grizzlies in-house uh, media group. Uh, he will make a guest appearance, and he's been writing certain things for Grind City Media, for the website, that he wants to talk about. And now we can actually put it on in, in televised form. Uh, and then, of course, we have the three-pointer, which always, you know, like I said, it, sometimes it's very <laughs> serious. Uh, sometimes it's it's very silly. Um, but we, we talk all that stuff through, and then then when we get into talking about the game open, we're talking about two particular players. And, well, what do you want to highlight about these players? What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about his season numbers? Do you want to talk about his last five games? Uh, what, what numbers really do you want to pull out? What type of highlights do you want to see from this player? Do you want just scoring plays as the point guard? Do you want some assists thrown in there? Um, and then the, the big thing is uh, our 
our keys to the game is, is sponsored by a, a bank called Pinnacle, and it's the Pinnacle Effective Advice of the Game. And so we've got two things that we want to talk about, and Brevin and I will come up with a bunch of suggestions based on the Hubie sheet that we've seen and the identity and, uh, of each team. And we'll try to figure out, okay, what do the Grizzlies have to do to get a win? And so we, we come up with that. And one of those has to be supported by video. So we try to be very specific with, with one of those. Um, and then it's like, look, floor's open. You know, what, what do we want to talk about? And, and some games are different. Um, you know, the Mike Conley return game to Memphis is obviously a very special occasion. And so you will really walk through what you have to do. You don't want to, I mean, you want to walk a balance because you don't want to totally canonize Mike Conley. He's playing for the other team. You want to, you know, respect what he did for Memphis. You mention it, you talk about it, and then we got a game to do. And we're not going to just keep talking Mike Conley the entire game. Um, And like I said, you know, we have also the Martin Luther King Day game in Memphis, which is obviously very special to us. And there are a number of events around the game and the weekend itself that we have to roll into the telecast. And so there are certain games that require much more conversation and, uh, you know, production meetings, particularly on the road, sometimes they can just become venting sessions about something that, uh, you know, the team is not playing well. And, you know, I'm noticing this and I'm noticing that, and, you know, this went right, this went wrong or, you know, and and so we kind of, I don't want to say it's an airing of the grievances because we really don't have many grievances, <laughs> but it is an opportunity. It is an opportunity for, for people to say, you know, look, this, this is what I'm saying. Are you guys seeing the same thing? And, and, and shaping the narrative of, of really what we want to talk about during the course of the game. I want to ask you one radio question. Um, I know it's been a little while since that's been your, your, your main forte, but I was curious most um, in this day and age in the NBA, how do you, keep pace with the speed of the game in a digestible fashion. And I just think about, I live in Indianapolis and when I do games on the radio, there are times where we get to commercial break and I'm like, Oh, like I needed that. Uh, And then I turn on Mark Boyle and he is just like the most cool, calm, collected, like the game is moving through convection fluid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like how do you find that right tempo where you can be descriptive enough, but not, driving yourself bonkers? That's oh, a, it's a really, really good question. I, I, the more that you do radio, the more the game slows down. I mean, Mark's been doing games. He's done over, what, a couple thousand games probably. <laughs> sure. um, so it, 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 it does slow down. Um, economy of language is really important. Um, you know, there's a way to be descriptive without, while minimizing the number of syllables that, that come out of your mouth. Um, I think the biggest challenge too is varying your vocabulary that you're not saying the same thing over and over and over again, that it, that it becomes repetitive. Um, I've always, I've always liked Jim Durham, the late great Jim Durham, uh, because he brought such great enthusiasm, kind of a staccato rhythm to it. Um, And I don't know that this is appropriately answering your question, but I think good radio play by play, particularly in the NBA should be like music. Hmm. It should be, it should be musical. It should, it should, uh, it should be like improvisational jazz, um, you know, where I like that. there are moments where it's really, really fast paced. There are moments when it's a little slower. And I go back to something Eddie Doucette, who was the original voice of the Milwaukee Bucks, he said of Chick Hearn in L.A., he said, Chick makes you hear the beat of the ball on the floor. And over and above your vocabulary I think the ability of a radio play-by-play guy to translate the speed of the game or lack thereof, if it's a half-court game, the ability of a radio play-by-play announcer to put their thumb on the pulse of the game, the speed of the game, and to, by varying his inflection, by varying his delivery, by varying his vocabulary, can create that aura, can create that sense of the rhythm of the game. If they can do that, that to me is, is the true mark of a professional and, and somebody who's really, really at the height of their craft. Well, that's a hell of an answer. That's uh, yeah, that's, that's spot on. Um, that's a, a good way to think about it. Uh, I don't want to take the, the entirety of your morning here, Pete, but I have one more question I want to ask you. 
and that is look. I got, I, look, I got nothing else. I got nothing else on the calendar. <laughs> um, I know you've done Olympic stuff in the past, um, and and I want to go back to 2004 when you uh, did handball, and I read that you prepared for that by watching other broadcasts of handball in German. Yes. <laughs> so I, I'm. I no other question than I'm curious how that went. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, it, it, it gave you a sense, and I don't, I don't speak German, but um, <laughs> it, it did give you a sense of the flow of the game. Uh, and even though, as I said, I don't understand German, you could read the inflection, you could read the enthusiasm rise and fall with, with the German commentators. But again, it was just understanding kind of, kind of how the sport is played. Yeah. You know, how, how exactly do you do this? Um, and big big credit to NBC and their research department for putting together the manuals about the rules and, and the important players and, and things like that. And I was very fortunate to be working with Don Allinger Lewis, who had, uh, had gone over to Sweden, I believe, and played professional handball. So, you know, those, those are the things that you can always like, well, Don, and, and, and she can explain the finer points of the game. And, and that's where as a play-by-play guy doing an unfamiliar sport, you have to know your strengths and weaknesses and, you know, you identify the players, you identify the score, you identify, you know, the main storylines, and then you let your analysts really, really be the star of the show because they've actually played the game. And, you know, I'm seeing it for, you know, the, the first time. And um, it was, it was interesting because you're right at my first exposure to it was watching it on videotape. And then we, did not go to the handball venue. We called games off monitors at the international broadcast center. And, uh, one of the metal round games, I think, well, I don't know if it was a metal round game or not, but one of the games that we were not doing was in the evening. And Don said, here, let's go. And I want to take you to the venue and I want you to experience this. Mm. I think it was France versus Germany. And I mean, it was unbelievable. The energy in that building, for that particular match and it was a really really good match anyway um and uh that's a really cool sport i wish i wish it would take off uh, in the united states but uh i i don't i don't see that happening in, in the short term but uh it was it was an interesting experience and and i enjoy learning about different sports and 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 i find it as a way to kind of stretch yourself so i do usl soccer in the off season. i do minor league baseball in the off season just to just to kind of keep myself sharp and just look at things from a different perspective. Do you ever feel a little, even as much as you prepare, did you ever feel a little naked doing that where it's like, I think this, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I've just got to tread lightly or, or like, how do you get yourself to a spot where you are 100% confident, you know, doing a, a national worldwide broadcast of a, of a sport that's fairly new to you? I think you have to stay, you have to stay in your lane. Okay. Um, And two, what will happen is if you see something during the course of a game and you don't you don't want to jump in there with both feet so that your analyst is like, oh, my play by play guy's an idiot. (laughs) Um, I I think if you see something that surprises you or you don't fully understand, um, I think you just get out of the way and and, well, and write it down. You can talk about during a commercial break. And even when I started doing volleyball. Uh, for the SEC network and and for Fox South, um, I was working with Phil Bush, who knows volleyball backwards, forwards, sideways, and every other which way. And I would tell Phil, I said, if there is, if I hesitate and I look at you because you know the ball goes outside outside the antenna and and, I, and I, it just doesn't register with me, or or there's some some rule that I'm not perfectly clear on, I'm going to lay out and I'm going to look at you, and that's that's your sign to jump in. And say, well, that was a violation for dot dot dot, mm. and, and so you just you you try to educate yourself that way, and let and let your analyst be the star, which is which is really so much of, of what television is anyway. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. It was Kevin Kevin Kugler we had on a couple of weeks ago who said, uh, "There's a reason CBS is paying Tony Romo eighty-seven million." Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, hearing that kind of registered it with me. I was like, "Yeah, they're definitely wanting to hear him talk more." Um, Pete, uh, if people want to catch more of you or want to catch more of the Grizzlies, uh, how do they go about doing that? Fox Sports Southeast and NBA League Pass. Uh, right now, I don't know if any game, any uh, Grizzlies games are on League Pass, but I do know that Fox Sports Southeast is running classic games from this season and uh, and periodically uh, various 
various broadcasters, including myself, will live tweet cool. the replays of those games. And my Twitter handle is at Pete Pranica. Uh, so pretty easy to uh, to remember. And uh, periodically, I'll be I'll be posting some some Grizzlies and NBA related stuff. Uh, in addition, to, I don't know, maybe talk about aviation. Who knows? <laughs> Are there things that you're doing right now just to stay sharp for whenever they tell you to pack your bags and, and go work again? Right now, I'm just trying to recharge. Uh, more than anything else, uh, my understanding is that if there is a return to play, there probably would be a couple week notice or there would be a period of time to to kind of jump back in. I mean, and the other thing, too, is we're we're in the middle of a season, so it wouldn't be like we're starting from scratch where there's a lot of player movement and a lot right. of that type of transition. Uh, we're we're in the middle of it, as it were. So, um, you know, right now I'm just trying to stay healthy, get proper rest, eat right, and um, and be ready for if that call should come that we are going to resume the season that, that I'm ready to go. That's Pete Pranica joining us here on PXPCast. If anybody has, like, that Kermit the Frog video handy, by the way, I have gone through years of Twitter before to find stuff. I just, I was, I, I couldn't bring myself to scroll through every tweet of media over the last several years from... Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies to find the Kermit the Frog impression. But if anybody has it, uh, let me know, because I, I would love A, to hear it, and, and B, to share it with you guys on next week's episode or, or whenever we find it. So if anyone has it, tweet it at us, uh, at PXPCast. Said it at the beginning, though, and I still think it's the big takeaway from the conversation with Pete, is uh, find out who a team is. Find out who the soul of a team is, what is the soul of the game, and convey that. And then we mentioned statistics off the top. And I, I quoted Jim Nance, numbers on TV make a stale broadcast. And then we talked about stats with Pete Pranica. Um, but I, I think the, the method in which Pete uses statistics is important. He doesn't study statistics to tell you on the air, necessarily, oh, well, Memphis is fifth in offensive efficiency. What the hell does that mean? What he uses the statistics for is to inform his knowledge of a team and what they are good at, what they do, what they're not good at, so that he can paint that picture. You know, the numbers are not the final product. The numbers are the paint that he then puts on the canvas, which creates the picture that you view at home. And that sounds a lot more philosophical than I ever imagined before it came out of my mouth. But uh, good takeaway from our conversation with Pete Pranica, who I have never met and I had never spoken to before we did this uh, episode. So, uh, A, thank you to him. And B, really cool guy. Uh, enjoyed that conversation. Hope you did, too. We are off till Friday. Spiro Didis. I have spoken to Fordham people in the past who have always said I have to have Spiro Didis on. And we've just never been able to make it happen. It is happening on Friday. Spiro is on the podcast. Until then. My name is Joel Godet, the music is Marshmallow, and we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.